passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to episode 8 of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax Tournament Finals from 1991 to 2018. And on this episode, we're going to look at the 1998 G1 Climax Final, which was a contest between Shinya Hashimoto and Kazuo Yamazaki. And joining me today uh, is this very special guest. He is one half of the Eastern Lariat podcast with Striga. He's also uh, one half of the new uh, Eastern Lariat Patreon and the host of a myriad of shows on that particular uh, network of, of shows. Uh, and I was fortunate to be a guest on uh, the first episode of the Joshi podcast of, of uh, the Eastern Lariat Patreon, uh, Pure Heart, Pure Lariat. Uh, please welcome Mr. Dylan Fox. Dylan, how are you? <laughs> WH, I'm so happy to be on here. I've been looking forward to this ever since you told me about your project you were doing. Before you even asked me to be on, I was excited uh, about it just as a listener. And hopefully I can lend some uh, personally uh, great expertise about this match here. And thank you for being on Pure Heart, Pure Lariat as well. That wasn't just for Patreon, by the way. That's for everybody on there. That's for free on there. I wanted everybody to hear it. And uh, actually, we got some list of the numbers. I, I don't want to reveal too much, but it's really on pace with the regular Eastern Lariat show. So wow. I think you're I'm, a big. I think I think you're a big draw, WH. I think I'm a bigger. I'm a bigger draw on the podcasting front than than Jay White is <laughs> in uh, in whatever show he headlined with Hiroki Goto. That's for sure. <laughs> Yes, uh, no doubt about it. I think we both could be considered that at this moment. But if this is a Jay White hate podcast, I'm no, down. No, no. For- but your 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 listeners may not like it too much. I don't want to. I don't want to make a bad first impression on some of your listeners on, um, you know, post wrestling here. I'm so happy to be on the network too. Longtime fan of everything you guys do. You, John Way, everybody really on here. Uh, I was listening to your show even when back in the old days when Chris Charlton was your co-host. Wh, I listened every time. So this is kind of an honor for me as well. To, to step into the, uh, like you said, like when you stepped into the arena of Osaka Joe Hall next month, this is my Osaka Joe Hall right now, being on post pro and post wrestling. Oh, no, no, no. no, no, please, you're you're making me blush, Dylan. Um, one I th- one thing I wanted to say uh, before we started was that um, I'm I'm really glad to have you on the show because you are a big fan of uh, kind of the shoot style wrestling yeah. in Japan, like UWFI. I guess rings would be included in that. Maybe Pancras and all. Like, uh, were you a fan of Shuto as well? Uh, I've uh, only seen very brief clips of it, but I liked what I saw. But I just I wouldn't consider myself an expert or a true fan compared to UWFI and Rings and Battle Arts, which was uh, my all time favorite company. But I was a huge fan of UWFI and Rings, especially. But Shuto, I would love to uh, watch more of if that's possible in the future. You know, so I was I was a little bit late getting into the uwfi stuff and so for me like when i was really deep into like getting like you know like footage of, of japanese wrestling like whether it was like you know zero one or new japan or all japan noah dragon gate i was a big fan of the promotion big mouth loud yeah 
Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. Uh, if you go back in the archives, I don't know of the Eastern Lariat. Me and Striga actually did a whole show reviewing every one of their shows on that episode on Big Math Lab. Even the Taru main event, I had to suffer through. But everything else I liked pretty much, except for the Taru part. Wait, wait did, did, did Taru have a main event with Shibata? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and he won. He, he beat Shibata, the ace, supposedly. I, I, I probably have that show on DVD somewhere back at back in Toronto. <laughs> I have to, maybe, I'm going back in August, so I'm going to probably have to try to dig that out. But for those of, for those of you who don't know what Big Mouth Lab was, it, it, when Katsuyori Shibata first left New Japan back in the early 2000s. He, who did he leave with? Uchida, right? He left with a guy named Uchida, who was kind of yeah, like yeah. one of the office dudes in, in, in New Japan at the time. And they not, started their own promotion. Not that you know a guy either. It was a different one. A different guy, yeah. And, and yeah. they started their own pro, kind of like indie, indie promotion, kind of like this kind of super card promotion. And, and like every, every card like was some kind of main event featuring Shibata, including his matches with, uh, you know, the aforementioned Taru. Uh, my favorite was the one he had with uh, Brian Danielson. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a really good was match. That was that a big math loud? That was a big math loud one. I have that one, yeah. Somewhere. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I don't know if it ever made, like, you know, like, you know, if it's ever available outside of, like, the initial, like, you know, taping of it and being distributed to tape traders, but uh, that's a really good, that's a really, really good show. Uh, he had the match with Kensuke. He had a match with, I think, probably Nakajima. He had a match with Kojima. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, 100% sure of that. Basically, he didn't have yeah. any matches with New Japan talent because, like, they're on the outs at that point. But he, everyone else in Japan, it, you know, he had a match with, basically. And really, the whole point of that group that, you know, these guys came up with was, and you could look at the logo. It's really just kind of a ripoff of the Lion logo for, uh, you know, New Japan. And this guy... Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't Uchida, it was Uwai that Uwai, uh, right, yeah. right, 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 Uwai. Yeah, we got those confused a little. But yeah, it was basically just a wolf instead of the lion. So it's their their whole goal was to bring back quote unquote real strong style because New Japan had lost their way allegedly, and I, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with that in, in 2005 when this when this company started. But yeah, Shibata was kind of the the ace of the company, but they 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 put him in a lot of big matches. They used some guys from Battle Arts, like Yuki Ishikawa, Daisuke Ikeda were on the undercards there. Um, and Abuhara was there at certain points. They used a lot of a mix of shoot style. But they did have, actually, Yuji Nagata for one show on there, and Minoru Suzuki. Uh, I think that might have been the very last show that they were on. Because they, yeah, the main event was Suzuki and Takayama versus uh, Nagata and Murakami as well. So, yeah. And the semi-Mataru and Shibata match, now that I remember. Yeah, so the reason why I want to bring up big mouth loud and i guess is shibata as well is that what like those guys represent like you know what what we're going to review today and that's kazuo yamazaki and shinya hashimoto who like really epitomize what what many people vision of like strong style is dylan yeah i i totally think that hashimoto is a lot of people's vision of what strong style is especially um yamazaki He's an interesting guy because you're asking me a little bit about his background. And basically, he's somebody that has been through the ringer in his career. Kind of a big what-if story when you think about what, everything that happened with him. Because he started, speaking of strong style, there's another person that really represents that. And that would be the original Tiger Mask, uh, Sayama. And he was a, a trainee of his, right? And he came in in the very early 80s, I think 1982. He was kind of a contemporary of guys like Takata, Akira Maeda, uh, Norio Honaga, and people like that. And the problem was that he kept following uh, whatever people would leave to start new UWF increments, he would always follow them. So like he left right as you, the original UWF started in, I think, a year or two after he debuted. And that fell apart. He came back to, to New Japan when Maeda and Sayama had their falling out. And he was solid and all, but he was more like a junior heavyweight for that run. Uh, he got a little bit of a tag run with Fujiwara and winning the tag titles and stuff. But then he left UWF2, then UWFI. The problem in UWFI was he had a good run in terms of wrestling, 
but he was largely overlooked when it came to people. And really, everybody was kind of under push compared to Takata in, in UWFI. That could have been. Uh, a lot of people were. And uh, there was a point where he lost to him and lost to Takata in the first round of a tournament and then had a very quick loss to Takeyama. And after that, he left right away. It was right around the time Kiyoshi Tamura jumped to rings at the time and the company was falling apart it was going down that's a whole other story for, for an, another time but he came back in and he brought this uwfi style to new japan uh he was more um he didn't really represent uwfi though he was more along the lines of somebody who teamed with osamu kido who was another 80s guy and takashi azuka who was a young guy at the time uh, not the crazy Azuka that most people probably know now. Um, and he was mainly just feuding with Team Wolf, like Tenzan and Shono, Ukami Gundan, as some people would call them. Uh, and it all led to this feud with Hashimoto that climaxed what we're about to talk about here. So he really represented the UWFI style, which was in a lot of ways a continuation of Inoki's original vision of strong style that Hashimoto represented perfectly. So it was kind of like two sides of a, a same, uh, you know, the same coin kind of this main event that we we're talking about in the G1 finals of 98. So I thought that was really interesting to note about them. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it might surprise a lot of people that, you know, if you watch New Japan World, you watch like modern shows, you know, whether it's Dominion or King of Pro Wrestling or the G1 Climax, you've probably seen Kazuo Yamazaki without knowing who he is. <laughs> yeah. He's he's part of the, usually he's part of the Japanese commentary team. He's the older gentleman with, with you know, who's bald, who looks like he's <laughs> yeah. sleeping half the time, you know, <laughs> with the goatee. Like, who's that guy? It looks like he's asleep. That's Kazuo Yamazaki, by the way, just so just so everyone knows. So he transitioned after he retired to becoming a commentator for New Japan, uh, both like in the, you know, just, I guess, in the pre-New Japan world era of, of uh, you know, New Japan television. So there you go. The uh, guy, That guy is one of the toughest, like, uh, wrestlers that you're going to meet and let's yeah. get into the 1998 g1 climax dylan um let's give a little background on the tournament itself it was held from july 31st to august 2nd and these early g1s i always like to bring up with the different guests is that you know it's, it's a far cry from what we have now which is like almost like a four to five week long tournament this these were like three to four days and they were all <laughs> held at ryogoku uh kokugikan aka sumo hall yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that. I even noted it on my notes. Like, can you imagine a three-day G1 now? Uh, it's kind of hard to even think about it. This one, in the late 90s, they kind of got uh, a little bit wacky with the format of the tournament. Uh, they had some different stuff. Remember in 2000, which we'll talk about later, they had the four blocks that they had the four blocks of four, kind of like a World Cup. This one was single elimination. The one before that was the same. Uh, no Buff Bagwell in the 98 version, unfortunately. I, I missed out on that one somehow. Uh, but here in the 98 version, they had the uh, 16 men, and it lasted th three days. And the semifinals and the finals were both on the same show. And that actually played into this uh, match. Here. Really, the whole tournament actually played into the match, which I really liked. Um, you can't really do it with the format nowadays with the G1, uh, or even the New Japan Cup, really, with how they do it. But I loved how they really built and established Yamazaki through this whole tournament and led right into this match with both men. Yeah, uh, I thought so, it was... For sure, for sure. And like let's let's talk about the the participants, the other participants of uh this uh, particular G1. Uh, um obviously like a lot of times they do the round robin league tournament uh format, but this time it was a 16-man single elimination tournament held over I think it was four nights, uh you know, like at Sumo Hall. And the participants we had first up Big Titan, Dylan, Rick Bachner, a.k.a. fake Razor Ramon. He, he, this, I think this was, this was his only G1, I believe. Uh, after him, we have Tadao Yasuda, uh, Satoshi Kojima, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Tatsutoshi Goto, not Hiroki Goto. Uh, this, is the lesser, this is the lesser Goto. Uh, Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Keiji Muto, uh, Jinichiro Tenru. Was this his? This isn't his first appearance, is it? In in the G one, I can't remember. I, I think he might have been in the one the year before, but I, I might be wrong. This was this was like the tail end of uh, WAR, right? Yeah. So I my this might be his like when he comes in as a full time roster member instead of as a as a guest freelancer. Uh, following yeah. Tenru, we have uh, Shiro Koshinaka, 
Osamu Nishimura, Masahiro Chono, Manabu Nakanishi, Michiyoshi Ohara, Kensuke Sasaki, Tatsumi Fujinami, and of course, Kazuo Yamazaki. Uh, let me play a bit of an age game with you here, Dylan. In, in 1998, uh, how old do you think Shinya Hashimoto is? Hashimoto. That, that's an interesting question. Because remember, he did die young at the time, so he couldn't have been too old. In 98, I'd say about 33, maybe? Yes, exactly. He's 33-year-olds. 33-year-olds ah. at, at this time. And how about Kazuo Yamazaki? Yamazaki, that's a di- that's a different story. He he has to be a little older, I would say. Uh, he has, he a, has to be in his 40s. Uh, li- no, no, he's he's just a little bit older than than Hashimoto. He's thirty five. Oh, really? Yeah, he's thirty five years I, old. Oh wow, man! I never would have guessed that. It's the bald head. I'm telling you, bald is not going to get it done. I I guess you could make maybe similarities between him and Takaiwa at the time. Uh, with the bald head, they didn't look that much different, but I would have thought for sure he was older than Hashimoto. Uh, yeah, good catch him. Yeah, Takaiwa is like one of those dudes that's like, you know, he when he had hair, he looked younger. When he, when he, when, you know, by the time 1999 rolls around, he shaves his head. He's got the beard. He's teaming with Otani and that amazing tag, junior tag team that they had. He, he looks like he's like, I don't know, 38 to 40 when he's probably like, you know, 15 years younger than that. But, um, but getting back to too. <laughs> oh, oh, he looks yeah, he looks Takaiwa. Yeah, he looks amazingly yeah. the same. He has an age. I guess that's the thing about being looking prematurely old that like when you are actually old, you look the same as you did when you looked old, if that makes sense. Yeah, we call that we call that the Dean Malenko effect in, in wrestling. Somebody that looks like they're born forty years old. Well, <laughs> Pretty I mean, much. that's that's kinda of mean about Dean Malenko. But but anyways, well, let's let, let's let's get back to the the G one here. Uh, let's talk about the our our guys' path to the finals. Hashimoto's path to the finals was through uh, Goto, Tenru, and his future tag team partner Kojima. Uh, Yamazaki, this is amazing. Yamazaki beat Tatsumi Fujinami, he beat Kensuke, and he beat Masahiro Chono, who you would argue are the three of the biggest stars. They're like the in the top five of the company at this point in time. And he beat all three of them to get to Hashimoto in the final. So definitely he's get he was getting the big push, whereas Hashimoto kind of went through most of the, like, like outside of Tenry, he went through kind of the mid card to get to the final still in. Yeah. Even in 98, Goto was jobbed out hard. Uh, he, it was like a really, really squash match too. It was only like four minutes. It was a ref stoppage. And I love the push with Yamazaki again, because on this show, the earlier match, they had their matches uh, versus Chono and Kojima, respectively, on the same show as the final. And Kojima injured Hashimoto's knee early on. And that had been uh, the night before they had Tenru and Hashimoto in the main event, which was an epic match. Very good. Uh, if you've never seen it, I would highly recommend everybody watching that one, too. The Hashimoto Tenru match from 98, because it was an awesome match. Uh, but it led to this match with Hashimoto's leg injury coming in. And for Yamazaki, like you said, he beat three of the top guys. Tatsumi Fujinami, a legend. Kensuke Sasaki, the winner of last year's G1. And Masahiro Chono, Mr. G1 himself. Uh, he won all of his matches very quickly, too. And did it. And he actually won each match with a different submission each time. Which we actually saw all three of them used in the finals uh, as well. So what that accomplished in this match was a great double storyline. Where you had Yamazaki, who, you know, on paper, would be pretty much a heavy underdog at this point. He gets three straight wins over strong favorites with three different holds. And that paired perfectly with against Hashimoto, who was coming up both as a perennial G1 failure. That was his storyline going into this, is that he was the only one of the three Musketeers that had never won G1. Uh, and he also had an injury, which helped and led to the crowd reacting how it did with the match, which we're about to talk about. So I love the storyline that they had already, which you would see in something like, you would see something like that today. But they also did this, uh, show-to-show booking, and in the in match-to-match booking, actually, that led to uh, such a hot crowd for stuff that you wouldn't expect in a normal match. Yeah, and, like, let, we're getting into the match now. Like like you said, there's the, the crowd is hot, so, like, they introduce Yamazaki first, and he gets a pretty nice response from the crowd, but then they introduce Hashimoto, and, my God, the, the pop this man gets when they say his name is just epic. Just goes to show you how popular 
you know, Shinya Hashimoto is at this point in, with the New Japan audience. Um, they start the match. They're feeling each other out with low kicks to the legs. Uh, Hashimoto waylays Yamazaki with a big chop to the neck. One of his big weapons was like those big, you know, beefy hands hitting the, hitting the guy in the neck or in the shoulder. Um, then uh, Yamazaki reverses uh, Hashimoto's uh, DDT attempt, which is one of his signature finishers, and he turns it into an armbar. Uh, Hashimoto wisely escapes and goes out to the floor at this point, buying some time to kind of, I guess, kind of feel out what he's going to do with Yamazaki at this point, Dylan. Yeah, and when he caught him with that Fujiwara armbar attempt, I loved the sense of urgency that Hashimoto had to scramble away outside of the ring. The crowd popped huge, not just because of the move, it was very smoothly done, but they were educated that not only is it a big move for him, but also that the match could end at any time because we had matches in this tournament go four minutes, five minutes, six minutes. So uh, they really did a good job of educating the crowd to that. It led to a great reaction on that spot you mentioned. Yeah, and then so they they, uh, start fighting each other again, and then Yamazaki repeatedly starts kicking at uh, Hashimoto's left leg. Uh, Hashimoto catches Yamazaki with a big front kick to the chest it looked beautiful i've never seen you know hashimoto use this kind of a kick before uh and then he proceeds to try and cave in poor yamazaki's chest with his signature like i don't know front kicks and and he uh what does he do and and so he's kicking him in the chest and in the bread basket and i gotta say oh man this sucks to be yamazaki at this point uh because hashimoto is one of the stiffest kickers in the history of wrestling uh dylan yeah, that was that was really his story of this match because Yamazaki really took a lot of it and the crowd was really getting behind him well. But it, the thing is with Hashimoto, all of his strikes were devastating pretty much. Uh, for real, and also Yamazaki did a great job. He, he did a huge bump off of one of those kicks too. He rolled backwards, did everything. It was kind of unexpected but really well done as well. And I loved a particular move during the sequence where Yamazaki was really fighting on the knee, kicking the knee and everything like that. And he ran the ropes like he was going to do a clothesline or something. And Hashimoto stood up like he was about to counter. But Yamazaki ran to him and then just kicked him in the knee again. And it was such a really unique and well-done counter that uh, felt realistic and cool. Then when he hit the leg sweep to Hashimoto's knee, Hashimoto had this amazing sell job that he did because he let out a yell that was so real, and the crowd immediately got on their feet for it. was just awesome. And something so simple that just like that leg sweep to the knee, and not Hashimoto did a leg sweep too, that was uh, more of a traditional one, but this one connected to the knee. He yelled out in horrible pain. It was beautiful. I, I love that spot so much. Yeah, that was a really good part. And then, like you're mentioning about you know, Hashimoto's uh, leg sweep, uh, he preceded that particular leg sweep with a beautiful. You know, spinning back chop right into Yamazaki's neck, yeah. and then he sweeps the leg. Uh, but you know, Hashimoto is now feeling the effects of like you know Yamazaki's attacks on his left leg, and and slows his own attacks down, which lets you know like Yamazaki kind of take the advantage, and he hits him with a drop kick and and uh, more kicks to the left leg. So Yamazaki's just keeping it simple. But man, this you know this simple strategy, he's not trying to be, you know, like doing a dance move or anything like that. It's not trying to become a, a meme wrestler. Not that memes existed in 1998, but you know what right. I mean? It's, it's a far cry from sometimes what you see in the main event scene in New Japan now that Yamazaki's just going after his leg, his left leg. That's his target. He's not trying to do anything else. He's just going after that left leg. And my God, the crowd is so into it at this point. Yeah. Oh, it was perfect. Like this is the perfect vision of what I was always told about wrestling, that less is more. Both of these guys really did a, a fantastic job. Uh, neither one of them breaking out, like you said, any kind of crazy, uh, you know, big finishers, exchanges, or dance move counters like we see sometimes in these main events recently. Uh, this was all about going after the leg for Yamazaki and Hashimoto firing back just because he's such a heavy hitter that it doesn't matter if you try to take out <laughs> one of his big weapons. Uh, and it felt like, too, uh, they both sold so well, too. Like I mentioned with Hashimoto with the yell on the leg sweep. And Yamazaki's bumping, even for a bigger guy. I thought he did a fantastic job. So uh, both of these two are flowing right now in the ring. I thought they had great chemistry together. And the crowd, like you said, was completely buzzing to this. And it led to some great moments, which we're about to get into in the match. So one, one thing uh, that I thought was really smart was that, you know, Hashimoto selling the the, the, the the attacks to his knee, to his left leg. So he changes his offense from kicks to yeah. like these big chops 
to the neck and shoulder of Yamazaki. And I thought, that's brilliant. Like, uh, he, of course, he shouldn't be kicking him anymore because he's damaging. He's doing more damage to himself. So, like, he's got to change his offense. So, and of course, you know, the, the big chops, are, again, are like to remind people, is a signature, you know, offensive move from, from Hashimoto. Uh, so now we're getting to the point where now it's just one big strike exchange between Hashimoto and Yamazaki. And uh, at this point, Hash, you know, uh, lifts Yamazaki up and, and, uh, Oh, sorry. I, I, I skipped over a page of my notes here. <laughs> Never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, crowd. Like, so I, my notes continue here. Crowd are really into Yamazaki holding his own with Hashimoto. So, like, you know, he, he elevated himself on the path to the finals, beating all these top stars in the company. And now he's, like, being presented as this equal to Hashimoto. And the crowd is totally bought into it before... When he was introduced, like he got a nice response, but now like they're cheering him on. I think not on the same level as Hashimoto, but very, very close to like, you know, you know, to where they view him is like just just a little bit underneath Big Hash. Uh, at this point, Yamazaki hits Hashimoto with a dragon screw leg whip and sends him outside. He follows up with a plancha to the floor, which I don't I don't know, has he ever done like planches before? No, no, you can tell just by look at how he does it. Look how awesome it was, how uncoordinated this was. But it was so real. It was like he couldn't he couldn't keep his hands off of Hashimoto because he couldn't afford just to give him a second to slow down and rest any. So he just had to dive over the rope with this plancha. It looked awesome. And that dragon screw got a great reaction too. Muto's uh, big move, obviously. And you have to understand, you, you mentioned about how they viewed him under Hashimoto. These two, this was not their first rodeo. They had been feuding for a, a large portion of the last two years. They had their first match in the Tokyo Dome on January 4th in 1996 together. And they had a world title match the year after when Hashimoto was the champion. It was the February 1997 show. Uh, so these guys have been feuding, but Hashimoto has always been ahead of them, like you mentioned, WH. And the crowd was really taking to uh, Yamazaki here, which was I was really surprised by because I was thinking Hashimoto would be the heavy favorite. This is his moment to shine. He's never won the, the G1 final before. But Yamazaki was really getting over with this crowd here uh, as this underdog, like I said, because of all the reasons I mentioned. I think what I said before about them building up the submissions and building up Yamazaki throughout the tournament really helped here. But that plancha was awesome. I, I noted that. That just got the crowd going. Uh, I loved it. I loved that move. Yeah, and so they go from the floor back into the ring, and then Yamazaki hits another dragon screw leg whip, and he follows it up with a knee bar, and now the crowd is going nuts because they think, you know, Hashimoto's going to tap now. Oh, my God, Yamazaki's going to beat Hashimoto and and foil his dream of finally winning the G1. But, you know, Hashimoto is able to get to the ropes. Uh, Yamazaki goes for a different submission. He goes for a figure four leg lock, but that attempt is foiled by a kick to the face from Hashimoto, which, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to be the recipient of any kind of kick from Hashimoto, let alone one to the face. Uh, Yamazaki reverses uh, Hashimoto's second DDT attempt into a sleeper hold. And again, the crowd's just going nuts because they think, oh my God, Yamazaki can beat Hashimoto with this move. But no, another rope break. Um, and then this audience is uh, being taken for a hellacious ride in this match, Dylan. It's incredible. After the sleeper hold, there was a great shot of Yamazaki's look of frustration that he had. It went right to his face, and he was like, oh, what am I going to have to do to beat this motherfucker? <laughs> That's kind of what he, he looked like on there. And Hashimoto, you mentioned the kick. It was just so simple, too, because he was lying on his back and just kicked him, <laughs> kicked him away. Uh, as he was setting up for the figure four. It was a great spot. And with the plancha and with these submissions, it really showed that to Yamazaki, and it was in reality, but to Yamazaki especially, he was wrestling like this was the biggest match of his life uh, to finally get the win over Hashimoto here. And I loved how they used all the finishers that he used throughout the tournament in this match because he had beat um, Fujinami, Chono, and Kensuke Sasaki with these moves early on, and that really helped the crowd buy into it. And what would happen next is really where the match elevated uh, to me to like an all-time classic final, in my opinion. But let's get to that. Yes. Yeah, so, so like as we continue this hellacious ride, uh, Yamazaki goes for another leg submission on Hashimoto, and the crowd thinks, this is it. This is it. He's yeah. going to tap. Nope. Rope break. Oh, my God. Uh, Hashimoto comes back. He fires uh, back with an enziguri and reverse DDT. 
he goes to the top and he hits this amazingly beautiful elbow from the top rope. I I don't recall Hashimoto busting out a, a top rope elbow ever, let alone like, you know, I, I don't know if he was using it that much around this time period, but my God, he was so elegant. It looked better than the one Kojima would use throughout his career, Dylan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That elbow drop was amazing. It was like so graceful. It was like he floated through the air to do it. His form wasn't like picture perfect or anything like a Macho Man Randy Savage or anything like that. How he did it was kind of you could tell how influenced Goto today is because he does his elbow drop from the top rope very similarly to how Hashimoto did. Just for, He can't jump as far as Hashimoto did here because he flew across that ring. Man, that was awesome. I, I love that move. And I loved, again, just to mention the previous matches, the ankle lock was what really elevated this match to me because the crowd went insane for that. And I went nuts at that, even though I knew, I knew what would happen in the match because it would make perfect sense for him to win with the fourth finishing move that he had because he had only used the previous three. And then he brought this new ankle hold kind of move that he used. And I just thought it was uh, absolutely phenomenal. And the elbow drop was just the cherry on top of all this. Uh, uh, man, that was great. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who don't know and you haven't watched this match yet, and if you, I hope you're inspired to go watch this, you have to understand, if you don't know what Shinya Hashimoto looks like, he's a very large man. Like, you know, yes. like I, I was, I was doing, uh, I was doing a show with somebody else and we were talking, we were reviewing a Hashimoto match and, and he, he was trying to be polite. And I just said, listen, for those of you who don't know what Hashimoto looks like, his gimmick is that he's fat Elvis, you know, that, yeah. that's his gimmick. It, 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 it's okay to say that because that's what his gimmick is. He's got the sideburns. He's got the flared, you know, kar- he's karate Elvis in, in his yes. later stages of his life. Right. That's, that's what he is. And he's a big, big man. So for him to gracefully hit. This top rope elbow is something else. It's one thing you see Mudo do it. Okay, the man's like, you know, built for like jumping off the top rope. It's one thing you see, you know, Okada do it. He's he's a graceful looking man. Hashimoto is not a graceful looking man. So it's even more amazing to watch a guy of his size hit this elbow drop. Uh, but, you know, he goes for the pin. And but it's a two count. Yamazaki is able to survive a near three hundred pound man hitting him with a top rope elbow. It's, it's incredible. Yamazaki is like my new favorite wrestler for this month, <laughs> Dylan. You know, uh, Hashimoto falls up with uh, with the top rope elbow. He hits uh, more kicks and uh, he grabs Yamazaki and hits the vertical drop brainbuster for the one, two, three, and he gets the three count finally with one of his most you know, devastating finishers, the vertical drop brain buster. I think no one can match. Like the only people who have a better looking like brain buster, that was the only one other person, Dylan. And that would be Eddie Guerrero. Oh man. I noted this. I thought I called it beautiful. This was a beautiful vertical drop brain buster. This had to be one of his best. I can remember uh, because it was so perfect how he hit it. And when he called for it, he yelled out to the crowd to set it up. And the crowd was hot before the match for Yamazaki, but when he yet let out that yell and picked him up for the Brain Buster, the crowd knew this is it. And when the three count hit, oh man, the pop was huge for this. Uh, Mega star reaction. Uh, that that Brain Buster was just awesome. I, I, I thought nothing could top the elbow drop, but I, I had to go back and rewind on the Brain Buster because I thought that was one of his best versions. And like you said, his version is already one of the best of all time. And, you know, you can de- debate it with him, Eddie Guerrero, uh, maybe Arn Anderson is up there. But this had to be one of the best ones I've ever seen in a singular one. I just thought it was just amazing. It was great. And it, I think it was fitting that it got the, you know, the, the one, two, three on Yamazaki. Uh, it looked believable that I, that's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate killer move in this match. And, you know, Yamazaki is not hurt by losing to Shin Hashimoto. They had an absolute fucking war in this match this match was 15 minutes and 34 seconds it it both you know it, oddly enough i felt this match felt longer in the sense that it felt more epic but and it yeah. but it didn't feel long because it was such an exciting match throughout the from start to finish that it felt shorter as well do you know what i mean dylan yeah i totally agree with you this had everything you want in an epic but it wasn't that long like they they did everything you would want them to do in this time period like they got everything across they got the submissions across they got hashimoto's heavy hitting both of these guys felt like they were in a war and i think uh possibly to the crowd too because they had seen them wrestle earlier in the night as well um that really helped out but i just thought it was a phenomenal match in terms of time management and like i said if you look at this move this uh match 
that elbow drop was probably the most quote unquote fancy move in this whole match. It was a very simplistic epic is how I, how I would describe it because they did everything you would want. And yet they actually didn't, they didn't do anything very complicated. Uh, so it was kind of amazing. It was all in the presence, all in the selling, all in the execution of the moves that uh, really set this apart from so many other matches. And the, the crowd loved it. They showed respect afterwards. I love that part. Uh, the crowd popped for Yamazaki afterwards and still chanted for him. And it felt like this was the climax of arguably both of their careers because uh, finally Hashimoto would get the seven-year uh, storyline out of his way, seven-year monkey off his back, winning the G1 finally. Just a, an incredible moment overall. Yeah, this is his second time making it to the finals, and but his first time winning the G1. And, and just, it was, I love the post-match, you know, like, you know, Hash, yeah. Hashimoto goes over to Yamazaki, he lifts him up uh, and bows to, uh, like, he lifts him up and he bows to him to show his respect to him. Yamazaki reciprocates and he raises Hashimoto's arm in victory. And then, like, and then, then you get the, the crowd just chanting for Yamazaki because, and deservedly so, he, he deserved everything he got from that crowd, all the love and respect he got from the audience because, my God, like, I gotta say, I've I've reviewed like this is like show number eight. I've I've I think this is probably my top three of all the G ones I've reviewed to this point. So it's just an just an amazing amazing match. This is like how we say you know these days, Dylan. This is my shit. You know this. Yeah, yeah. Kazuya Yamazaki Shin Hashimoto is my kind of shit. I love wrestling like this. It's just so amazing. Oh, yeah, you had the right guy on for this show because I'm all with you. I love this match. I thought it was awesome. This could be my top three of all time, uh, I feel like. I love this match so much. I, I think the first couple, I, I know you talked about those already, but they have more historical impact than this one because Yamazaki, really, this was it uh, for him in terms of big matches. They had, they actually, these two actually formed a tag team a month after this for the, the amazing WCW tag title number one contendership tournament. <laughs> which they lost in the final to Sasaki and Nagata. And we know how that turned out. Uh, spoiler alert, they never got a title shot because it was WCW. So <laughs> no, the great tournament that they had with no no winner, right, technically. Or they did have a winner, but no prize. Um, but really, after that, Yamazaki didn't do anything. He lost pretty quick to Hashimoto at the next year's G1, and that was their last match against each other. And by January 4, 2000, he was done. He had a very quick match with Nagata, and that was the end of it for him. So uh, this was really the peak of his career as well. And uh, that's why this match maybe not have the historical significance of some of these other ones and maybe memories associated with it. But in terms of in-ring, I thought they did a phenomenal job. And this is right up my alley in terms of style. Yeah, but can I say one more thing about the yeah, post-match? Uh, I really miss, and I don't know how many other people have said this already. I, I may be repeating points that everybody's already heard already, and if so, I apologize. I miss the huge check and the cool trophy so much that they gave out the G1. That It just looks so awesome. Why don't they do that anymore? It's such a shame. Like The, the trophy, the first of all, the G1 trophy, I don't know if you agree with this or this is controversial or what, but the new one looks like shit. I don't think that looks cool at all. I don't like it. But here they had one that looked like it could be the brother of the Stanley Cup uh, they had with the trophy. It looked awesome. They had the huge check. Why don't they give that out anymore, WH? Is that like a cost-cutting measure? Uh, sponsorships going down the drain? I don't understand. It looks so awesome. I, I, I On the point of the trophy, like I, I have seen the G1 trophy because I've been to the, to the G1 shows uh, in person. So I... I I understand where you're coming from. It doesn't look as impressive as like like the giant trophy that they had back in the the, the late '90s. But I, I kind of like the new trophy myself. As far as the check goes, I think in this day and age, like before, like when everyone was you know the like kayfabe was still alive in Japan, that yeah. people probably legitimately thought Shinya Hashimoto, Masahiro Chono got five million yen for winning this match. I, I don't know how believable it would be to present like Okada or Naito or Kenny Omega <laughs> the five million yen <laughs> check, and it might it might seem a little low because you know five million yen you know isn't five million dollars you know it, it's it's a, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's considerably less than that. It's still a, a significant amount of money. Don't get me wrong. If someone gave me a five million yen check and and I, I would say this isn't enough, take it back. I would be like, oh thanks, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna run and cash it as soon as I can before they change their mind. But uh, I don't know. I I like the check gimmick too i think it's just, 
it's just one it's of those just, things where they they don't want to like I I don't know like they 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 don't have the ceremony anymore you know like you have different you know dignitaries coming in or presidents of different companies sponsoring like we saw that with the champions carnival this year you you saw like people presenting stuff to you know kento miyahara to, like yeah. he won the champions carnival but th- I, but you know all japan is still kind of like more traditional style of mm-hmm. you know pre- presentation than new japan is i you know i the thing with new japan now is that they are really really trying to be more moving into the realm of sports entertainment right and, and this includes like you know cutting down time i think they also have to think about okay we we want to end the show we want to get off the air we got to let the people get out of the building and things like that so i think those all those things taken into consideration we're, we're gonna get less ceremony as it were in, yeah. in the finals of like Things like the G1 Climax at Best of the Super Juniors and the you know the New Japan Cup, for example. Yeah, I, listen. Here's my solution to that: Do we really need another random five on five tag match in the undercard? Scrap one of those, whoever it is. I, God bless them. I love them. But Yoshihashi, he and Tamatanga and all these and Hanare and all these undercarders, they can miss a match on the G1 Final. Dedicate that time to the big check. That's what the people want to see. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, WH, this would get a huge pop if they brought the huge check out and the cool trophy and all that stuff now. Uh, and plus, you can even make a storyline out of it. Maybe somebody could steal the check in the future. Or there was one match one time with Kendo Kashin and Yuji Nagata uh, when Kashin was still himself, uh, like his normal character. And they were in the Young Lions Cup. And Kashin won the match and tore the check in half and gave half of it to Nagata. And they raised each other's votes. Uh, we could do that now. Bring it back, WH. That's what I want. But the, no, they're not going to do it. You. I, I'm totally with you on the check. I, I think it's a great gimmick. I, I think it makes yeah. everything look nice. I, it's like it's a holdover from like sumo, I think. Because sumo yeah. sumo wrestlers, when they win matches and tournaments, they get a check. Not not a huge one, but they get you know they get a check yeah. from like their sponsors and stuff like that. But um, one thing that, that is a tradition would be you know the winner of the G1 gets uh, a title shot against the IWGP champion, heavyweight champion. Uh, the, the January 4th title shot is not a, a thing yet. Uh, Hashimoto would receive his title shot on October 30th uh, at the Hiroshima Sun Plaza against then IWGP champion Scott Norton, who would defeat him to retain the title. And I think Scott... Who did Scott Norton beat? He beat... Did he beat Kensuke? Or he beat Muto? Yeah, I think he did. He beat Kensuke, right? Or was that yeah. Fujinami? And then transition it to. Might, I have to look. This that up. was such a weird era. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, yeah, it's such a weird era for Scott Norton to be the champion in, in New Japan on there. Because he was such a he was he was like a he was like a he was like oh. WCW undercard dude. He wasn't anything big in America, you know. Like so, it was always weird to me that they, you know, I, I can see why because he was such like you know loyal employee to New Japan at that time. So I can see why they would want him. To be this, you know, like okay, let's give him a title reign. Let's see if he can draw. But it, you know, nothing against Scott Norton. I think he was fine for what his role was. But I, you know, he's not Vader. You know, he's not. You know, or he's not. He wouldn't be like what you know, Brock Lesnar. Right? Brock Lesnar's not a good example, actually, of, yeah. an IWG, yeah. of a good IWGP <laughs> champion. Never mind. Scratch that uh, notion. Okay, I'm gonna look at the uh, the champions for the IWGP title. I'm gonna find the the list of the title reigns here. I already I already looked up. He wanted they, somehow or another the title was vacant. Actually, so we were both wrong. He beat Nagata. Uh, for on uh, September twenty third, nineteen ninety eight, for the vacant ah, title. This is Nagata's return back to the company yeah. from WCW. Yeah, you know, yeah, who, yeah. Oh, who? So who was? Okay, hold on. Uh, Scott Norton vacated. The last one was Chono. Uh, he he got a neck injury. That's why. Okay. So yeah, that's why. Yeah, that, that, that was... yeah this is a, a really interesting time in the company. Okay, so like Norton, Muto, Tenru, Power Warrior, and. Yeah. And this leads to this actually leads to the, uh, the the match with Kawada where he vacates the title because he couldn't beat Kawada. But anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves with this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at the at this point, Dylan, like I do yeah. this, uh, this is the part of the show where I ask the guests some trivia questions. Are, are you ready for some trivia from 1998, Dylan? Okay, let, let's get to it. I'm a little rusty on 98, but I'll give it my best shot. 
Okay, so part of this is like uh, entertainment trivia. So I want to ask you, and this is all like uh, American trivia. So don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what was like the number one song in Barcelona in August of 1998. What oh, is God, the I'm... number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1998, uh, August of 1998? Oh God, 98. Uh, I'm gonna go with. The only song that's popping into my head because the, I, I I was only six years old at this time, so I was still very young uh, when this this all happened. And I'm going to only go with my memory of what my parents were listening to as a kid, and it was a very uh, terrible song that I, I I can remember. The only one that's popping into my head is uh, the Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. That's my guess, but but which which is it? Uh, thankfully, it's not that song, and I, I know yeah. what song you're talking about. It's, uh, I, it, it's, it's a song called The Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember I remember that. That's right around the time of Full Moon with Brandy and all that. Uh, she had yeah, a piece so, yeah. that, that, I And I, I, I personally will tell you that I love this song. I remember when this came out, I was like, this is a great song. It's so catchy. And I, I will confess that sometimes I listen to the song, watch the video, and I thought... Why can't that be me? Why can't they be talking about me? You know, why can't Monica and Brandy be talking about me? But like, actually, the guy, the guy in the video is a complete douchebag because he's cheating on oh, both of them. Oh yeah. So then know? I thought, then I thought, no, I don't want to be that dude. I want to be the guy that comes after that guy who they actually, you know, trust and 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 love and stuff like that. But uh, let's continue moving on. What is the number one? I think you, I'm Brandy. I feel you. I'm Brandy though, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that for sure. No, well, I you know I'm I'm more of a Monica dude than like Brandy's oh. a beautiful woman. I'm more of a Monica person, I have to say. You know, Monica's more my type. Yeah. I'm gonna Monica's, choose between the two of them. But the book yeah, beautiful Monica's, women. Yeah, Monica's, Monica's like just classic, kind of more a classic beauty in my eyes. But yeah. getting back to uh, the trivia, uh, number one album in in America at this time in August. Uh it's a group. It's an it's a it's a group. It's not a single artist. I was gonna say in sync. Not in sync. It's it's, the it's three Boys. men. It's it's oh, three men. Okay. They they don't do you know they don't do like that kind of pop music. They do a completely okay. different style of music. Uh, man, the three men. It, uh, was it um. Did Master P and his group have have a, the No Limit Soldiers? Did they have an album around this time? Uh, I would have no idea. It's not them though. Oh, it... that was awesome. Remember when they were in WCW? <laughs> no, we well, I'm trying to I'm trying to forget that period of you know booking oh, okay. WCW. <laughs> okay, well, who was the who's the number one album? I, I I'm stumped. Oh, this three back group that we have, Three Doors Down. It's... No, no, no. It's it's the Beastie Boys. <laughs> they were number one in '98. Yeah, they with Hello Nasty, which is like a good album, but it's it's not my favorite. Like I I like the two previous albums by by the Beastie Boys, which would be uh, Ill Communication and Check Your Head, which I think are far far superior to Hello Nasty. You know, Hello Nasty is okay; it's a good one. I don't hate it, but like I just prefer the two that came before it. Uh, how about number one movie at the box office, Dylan? Titanic. Not Titanic. It's an epic movie. It's about three hours long. Oh. 98. See, I'm so bad at these pop culture. Didn't you listen to my biography show on the Patreon? I'm, I'm so bad at these uh, pop culture ones. I'm going to get them all wrong. Uh, okay, so it's an epic movie about three hours long. So there there goes Rush Hour. That, that, was, my, that was my number two pick. Um, fuck, I have no idea. I said, I, I really don't, man. Oh, it's okay, no problem, no problem. Like, yeah. Don't worry, you're, you're not the first person to get stumped by most of the trivia, I ask. Uh, yeah. It's saving... Private Ryan by Steven Spielberg. Okay, uh, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect okay. sense. Remember, I was only six at this time, so I probably didn't give a fuck about Saving Private Ryan or, or any of those kind of movies. No uh, problem, no problem. But yeah. uh, let's go to trivia that you should have you should have a lot of knowledge about. It's wrestling trivia. Who is the IWGP champion at this point? Uh, in August '98. Yes. Well. Uh, we just we just said it was Chono until he vacated it. Well, he that's who you know Scott Norton like he's the guy who preceded Scott Norton. It didn't. Oh, he yeah. wasn't the he wasn't actually the champion at this point. He becomes okay. champion a week later, actually. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Let, let me let me think about this now. Uh, Ninety eight. 
Okay, so this was before Chono. That's what it's, we're. It's it's the person Chono beat. Okay. On August eighth of nineteen ninety eight, but this is August. Uh, you know, this is the week before, so it's still this person is still the IWGP champion. Uh, Fujinami. But this was his title reign, right? Yes, this is Tatsumi Fujinami is the IWGP champion. Who are the IWGP tag team champions at this point? Mm. Were those vacant too? <laughs> they weren't. They, they weren't vacant. I wouldn't give you vacant title reigns. <laughs> that would be very funny, though. Like I said, because this was such a weird time for them. Okay, so around this time, uh, Sasaki. Uh, What's well, Sasaki? We, we met- it wasn't Sasaki, it's, but we we mentioned both these guys as participants in the G1 oh. already. So. Oh, okay. Both of them as participants. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Chono, no. Man, now that's stumping me even more. I, I thought I was on the right track, but now now I'm, I'm very confused at it. I think I'm going to have okay. to fail this. I got the, the other one right. So what? who yeah, is it? Uh, Tenru and Koshinaka. Oh yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Okay. I totally get that. This is right around the time. This was his. Um, this is right around the time he'd be a New Japan guy full time. Tenru. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally makes sense now. I, I remember this okay. now that you mentioned it. Okay. Who is the Triple Crown champion in all Japan? Okay. This was August '98. Hmm. Uh, see, I know. This was around the time Kawada had one had a reign, but I think he got injured. Uh, around this time, I had to give it up because of all of his cursed <laughs> t- title reigns at the moment. So it wasn't him, I don't think. And it may have been Kobashi. I'm trying, I-, I know all of these, like I'm going through this like a computer in my head right now, all of the, the title reigns that we have at the moment. Uh, I'm going through the one by one, and it would have to be kobashi it has to be kobashi you are correct it is kenta kobashi kawada gave up his title because he was injured right before that was that the match where he broke his arm and he gave masawa the ganza bomb yeah i think so yeah yeah remember kobashi and akiyama had a title match around that era uh, around that time Uh, yeah yeah, i mean that's that's like when akiyama's getting the push but like baba still wouldn't like pull the trigger on him which i i feel he should have pulled the trigger on him you know, before this, you know, before he died and before the split happened, I think that would have helped Akiyama a lot in like later years when he was in Noah. But that's not neither here nor there for our discussion. Uh, let's move right, across. Two for, yeah, two for okay, two for three. Let's move across the pond. Okay, yeah. Who is the okay. WWF champion in August of 1998? That was right around SummerSlam '98, which was main evented by Steve Austin versus The Undertaker, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So it would have to be one of them. I think The Undertaker was the champion at the time. Uh, it's the other one. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, that was such a weird era because remember they had that feud? I don't know if you ever saw this. Hopefully you did. Uh, but they did. Uh, basically, I know Undertaker dressed up as Kane one time. They had the highway to hell with Stone Cold. Yeah, so Stone Cold was the champion. I knew it was one of those two because it was in the main event. Yeah, I remember that that that, that kind of ad campaign where they used the uh, ACDC song to promote that <laughs> yeah. particular SummerSlam. Uh, who is the WCW champion? This should be easy. Yeah, Goldberg. It's Goldberg, yeah. Uh, ECW... Yeah, he... Sorry, go ahead. What a terrible use of him, by the way. Remember, he had just won the title from Hogan, and then they put him in a battle royal at the pay-per-view, in the August pay-per-view, which I think was the Hog Wild, or Road Wild, I guess, at the time. Uh, that was around the time, I think, uh, was that Jay Leno's year when he was the main event of that show? Uh, that might have been. I may, I may be wrong on that, but I know Goldberg was in the battle royal, and he was beating with the Giants, which was so stupid after he finally won the title. Uh WCW pisses me off so much. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, late, late, that period, like, I, I'm i not a huge fan, fan of the Nitro era. Like, I like all the, oh, yeah. the junior heavyweights from Japan coming in. I like all the, the luchadors coming in. And there's some good stuff there. But, my God, I, I hate the Hogan era of WCW. This is before Russo comes in, too. I just, just yeah, I'm yeah. not a fan of it. I like I liked the Bill Watts era, <laughs> the Jim Hurd era. Like, there's a lot of shit there. But, my God, there's some absolute gems of like programs and 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 acts in that in that company in between like the from the time it it, it folds away from Jim Crockett Promotions and just before Hogan comes in there's some like some gold in a river of shit there's some gold in there you know like it's not great but it's not as 
un, for me, it's not as you know like unwatchable as like like a, what the main event scene of w, with WCW would become under under Hogan and Bischoff's reign. So like I'm I'm more fond of like the you know the I guess like 1989 to what 1994 is probably my favorite period of WCW but uh, let's continue with another company ECW who is the ECW world television champion in August of 1998 uh that was Shane Douglas right it's post Shane Douglas i think this yeah this is definitely post Shane Douglas this guy oh 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 okay uh I remember him in FAW with the ECW title, though, around this time. No, I'm talking about uh, the, the television title. Oh, the TV title. Okay, yeah. that's a whole other can of worms. Okay, my apologies on that one. Uh, who could it have been at the time in 98? Uh, was it Taz? Not Taz. It's it's the other guy who's really, you know, like uh, rec- like you know, synonymous with the TV title in ECW. Oh, was it RVD, then? It was RVD, yes. Rob Van Dam is the television champion yeah. in August of 98. And final, final question, final wrestling question. We'll go back to Japan for this. Uh, okay. Dylan, who is the FMW Brass Knuckles heavyweight champion in August of 1998? Oh. Brass Knuckles heavyweight champion. <laughs> okay. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. And you've got to remember, during this time period of FMW was when... Uh, Samson Piyuki was really changing things around uh, to be more like a WWF or uh, whatever you'd want to call it, I, I guess. Um, uh, what was this the tag titles or the regular ones? No, this is ones? this is the this is basically their heavyweight championship, but they called yeah, it the I, Brass Knuckles heavyweight title. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to go with Mr. Ganesuke on that one. No, not Mr. Ganesuke. It would be his best friend. Oh, Hayabusa. It's uh, it's Hayabusa at this time. Yeah, like uh, you know, I wasn't really yeah. following FMW at this time, but uh, like when I moved to Japan in, in like two years later in 2000, I'd get the magazines and I and I see like and I see sometimes like see you know like tapes of like fmw at the time playing in like a video store or something like that and i just like this is so strange this is like wwe wrestling and then i checked the title they they changed all the they branded all the titles to like a a governing body called world entertainment wrestling <laughs> and I was yeah like, huh what okay and then hibusa became uh, he unmasked he became h and yeah, had, h <laughs> mr ganoscape was dark hibusa you had jado and ghetto if you want to know the origins of like a lot of this, some of the not a lot of but some of the stuff you see in Japan these days, go to like 1999 2000 FMW. You'll see a lot of the blueprint of what like Jadon Ghetto think is professional wrestling. You know, the, their vision of professional wrestling is kind of formed by Samson Fuyuki and and like their love for like you know Southern style American wrestling. And like I said, this was an attempt to move away from the hardcore stuff that Onita really personified and to move into like a WWF version, which <laughs> didn't really work because of stuff like that. I remember the uh, big ending to their feud was H versus Hayabusa, quote unquote, who was Mr. Ganesuke. And I, the first time I saw this, you, you might like this. It was on an old VHS tape and... The commentator was uh, maybe somebody you know, uh, Dan the Mouth Lovransky yes, from I'm The a, Law. My good friend of mine, Mr. Lovransky, yes, I'm a big fan of The Mouth. Yeah, and he was the commentator on these shows. And do you know who the special referee of that match was? They brought oh, in. Oh, that was Shawn Michaels. Right, HBK was there in FMW of all places to call to uh, be the new sheriff in town at the time. Obviously, this was after his back injury and everything. So that shows you how FMW was in the late 90s. They would have Shawn Michaels come in as a special referee. They were changing gimmicks around. Fuyuki was kind of like the evil GM at the time, uh, making all this happen, more or less. And yeah, H was like kind of a, a model, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, Hayabusa became H, which was kind of yeah, like a model. Like, I always thought of like, I always got the impression that H was supposed to be like their version of the rock because at that point he started yeah. using the, the rock bottom as his finisher. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, very influenced by him. Which if you, if you play uh virtual pro wrestling two, that's one of your finishers you can use as 
Hayabusa. You can change the costume of Hayabusa into H in the edit mode of Virtual Pro Wrestling 2, which I sometimes do. But usually, I, if I'm playing as Hayabusa, I, I keep him, you know, I keep him as Hayabusa. But just a little trivia there. But you know, that, that's. Oh, sorry. Go he ahead. He didn't go back. He did go back to the original Hayabusa before his injury and everything. Um, I remember during that time too, FNW actually had um, they had a booth at E3 which was the video game convention in the year 2000. And Hayabusa was there, uh, him and Ganesuke. They had, a, they had a tag match at E3 in Los Angeles uh, for FMW. So that's a, that's a little bit of a trivia note you weren't expecting uh, since you brought up all the the championship histories on me. Oh, no, I, didn't, I did not know that. I'm going to have to like look that up. I'm sure it's up on uh, Brett's uh, FMW fan page, that bit of trivia. I'll have to go look at that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dylan, this is this brings us to the end of the show. And before we go, I want people to know where can they find more Dylan Fox? Oh, yeah. Uh, check me out on the Eastern Lariat podcast. You plugged me at the start of the show, which I'm very thankful for. I do it with my friend Striga, who runs cagematch.net and Pure Love. Um, like I said, we just started a new Patreon. We do the regular show and the Pure Heart Pure Lariat, which is coming up. Uh, that, like I said, on that one we give it to the Patreon members early, but it releases for free for everybody, so everybody gets to hear it. Because I, I work hard to bring a lot of people on, like yourself, on the first episode, and I've got some other people lined up for the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, so that's a, a really cool thing. And if you want to find me on Twitter, check me out at Dylan Zero Sky uh, on there. You can follow me, and I'll talk to you about all kinds of wrestling, Japanese, uh, Mexican. I do another podcast on the MLW Radio Network called Lucha Talk with Fredo Esparza from Lucha World and Microman Fever. He's a Spanish translator for us. So we do cover all kinds of wrestling. The Patreon covers all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I'm working on getting some very unique shows onto that as well. So uh, check us out. Check the show out. We just had our latest episode, which was all about the Best of the Super Juniors that we had a preview on. And we talked about the New Japan shows uh, on that, of the past month of the big tour. We got to the big matches. We didn't go through everything, but it was still a very comprehensive show. And we even covered some big Japan pro wrestling, which is a, kind of to now what FMW was to a lot of fans back then. Uh, maybe not in terms of popularity, because there is no Onita, but uh, we covered their big show that they had recently. So You know, you know, I, yeah, I, know if I, I don't know if I've ever brought this up on like yeah. other, other podcasts or with you, Dylan. You know, I always draw parallels between two modern wrestlers with like the two big stars of FMW, which were Masato Tanaka and Hayabusa. Like the, for me, like the modern versions of both those guys is like uh, for, for Masato Tanaka, the modern version of him is like uh, Daisuke Sekimoto. And the modern version of Hayabusa is Kota Ibushi. And I always thought, you know what make a great tag team? Kota Ibushi and Daisuke Sekimoto. Can you imagine how awesome that tag team would be? Oh man, that would be a great, you know, the power speed combo they have there. Two different styles, but coming together. I like those comparisons too. I definitely think Ibushi has a lot of similarities to Hayabusa, uh, actually. Um, he has a, there are a few, a few differences, but he does have a lot of similarities, especially if Ibushi ever started a mask gimmick. I could totally being, see him being a cult favorite the way Hayabusa would. Yeah, maybe he could do like a, you know, wear a tiger mask or something. <laughs> Or yeah. you know, like if he ever did, if he ever did a, a mask gimmick, we, I don't think he's ever done one that that I that I'm aware of, Dylan. So you know, we can always yeah, speculate about Ibushi under a mask, but uh, definitely, I think you know the thing with Sakamoto, he went from like I think early in his career he was a deathmatch wrestler, and then he just I think he told Big Japan like fuck this shit, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be a straight-ahead wrestler, which is kind of like you know the same kind of thing that Masato Tanaka did when he left FMW. He he joined Zero One. He would occasionally do death matches, but he became more of a, a straight-ahead wrestler, I felt, during his Zero One time. And they re they wrestled early on in Sakamoto's career when he was in Zero One for a very young in his career, like 2001, Sakamoto was, so... Uh, they, they probably crossed paths around then. Um, Sakamoto, I definitely like the comparison because he's somebody like Tanaka. He's somebody that wrestles in all kinds of promotions now and carries his style around. So I think that is a really good comparison on your part. Obviously, they both hit hard. <laughs> I think that's the main <laughs> thing on their their careers and their styles is that they just hit very hard. And Ibushi does crazy things, just like Hayabusa did. So they match it very well. And I would love to see that team. Remember when Sekimoto was on the Lionsgate show for New Japan? Yes. I, have, I wish they could set up, set up some kind of show where 
they could bring some outsiders to team with New Japan guys and just to let it be all tag matches with outsiders teaming up with New Japan. That would be a great team that they could go with there. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see that in this current political. I think no. I, New Japan's more, <laughs> more and more becoming very isolationist. You know, they're, they're yeah. doing less and less with uh, like other groups. I think the, the the last time they did something big with Noah really burned them. So I, I think they're kind of like just getting away from that, just sticking to their their own thing, which is fine. I mean, they're very successful. They don't need to work with other companies. But uh, why don't we make that the point where we wrap up this show? Like you can, like uh, Dylan said, you can find him at uh, the Eastern Lariat. You can find him at Dylan Zero Sky. Yep. Dylan Zero Sky on Twitter. And, of course, the uh, Eastern Lariat. uh, It's patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat, right? Yeah, very easy to remember. You you know, you could just type it in. It'll get you right to our page. Uh, Really good stuff on there. Well, great. And, and Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed this this talk with you. And thank you so much for bringing all this extra knowledge, especially about Yamazaki, onto the show. I I knew very little about him, but I feel like I know as much as I need to now to go explore more of his matches and more of his career. Uh, For Dylan, I want to thank all listeners for tuning into this episode, and I will see everyone on the next episode. Until then, goodbye. 